to Acts chapter 4. Started a new series last Sunday entitled Growth Spurt. What I said to you is that I had no intention personally of having another year like the year 2020. I can't control so many things about what make life, makes life hard right now, but I can control certain things, especially those things pertaining to myself. And I just want to make some commitments uh, in as much as it's within my power to change Uh, parts of my life, especially my spiritual life in the coming year. And I'm really asking you to do the same thing. Get back onto a growth track with the Lord, back into some of the habits that feed and nourish and nurture your life in Christ. And and as a church, come back into a growth spurt, uh, which is the the, the title of the sermon. Let's uh, review a couple of things. First off, last week I reminded you that our church literally has one purpose, Only one purpose. We do a lot of things. We do children's ministry and youth ministry and college ministry and all kinds of outreach ministries, nursing home, missions around the world, church planting. We do all of these things. But we only have one purpose. We only have one commission. And it's very, very simple. Jesus gave us the one mission to go and make disciples. Period. That's all we're doing. Now, again, as I say, we have a lot of programs. But everything we do as a church should should fulfill the purpose, should continue to serve the function of making disciples. If we're doing something that isn't in any way making disciples, then I would question if it's it's worth our time and worth our money. We are a disciple-making church, a disciple-making body. That's what Christ wants us to be. Last week we talked about this. We also defined the terms because disciple is a word that is used in lots of ways, but when we use it after Jesus, it means one thing in particular. And a disciple is basically one who follows Jesus to become like him. That's it. You follow Jesus to become like him. That's your goal. Not to just learn more of the Bible. Learning is certainly a part of being a disciple. A disciple is a learner. What you're learning is the way of Jesus. It's not so much what you know in your head, but your life, the way you live, the way you behave, the way you begin to relate to other people, the way you relate to Jesus. You're following him in order to become like him. That's the goal, to be like Jesus. Now, in church, we use this word discipleship, which refers to what we're doing together. Discipleship is personal. It's your relationship with the Lord. But discipleship is a relational process. That's me and you together. And what we're doing is loving and investing in one another in order to reach maturity in Christ. My responsibility to you and your responsibility to me has to do with this function of discipleship. Everything you want to do in my life should be intended to move me one step closer to being more like Jesus. And everything that I do in your life should have that same purpose to move you one step closer to being like Jesus. If we're not doing that, then we're failing one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what disciples are, and this is what disciples do. We invest in each other's lives so that we all mature to become more like Jesus. Make sense? Sound familiar? Because that's what we're doing. Now, when we talk about Christian maturity, what it looks like to, to imitate, to become more like Jesus, we use an acronym at Woodburn, which is REFLECT, uh, acronym, R-E-F-L-E-C-T. Each letter stands for one particular characteristic of a mature disciple. Last week, we talked about relationship, the, the critical nature of loving God and loving others. It's about love, relationship. Today, we'll talk about the E, and that is, say the word, Evangelism. Evangelism. I don't know what happens in your head or what happens in your heart when you see or hear the word evangelism. 
I'm afraid that the very word strikes terror in the hearts of a lot of church people. Because when you think about evangelism or you think about you know, trying to share your faith with others, you just get these pictures of either just weird people who have made fools of themselves or made fools of Christ or, or, or whatever. You just have this idea of yourself doing something very unnatural or standing up on a soapbox on a street corner. And, and God has blessed lots of people in doing those very things. But most of us who are witnesses don't stand on a soapbox on a street corner. So you need to sort of figure out exactly what being a witness means in your own life, what evangelism means in your life, and that's what I want us to, to talk about. Lots of us have false impressions of what a witness is or what an evangelist does, and some of us think that this is absolutely something that we could never or would never find ourselves doing. But, but I just want to say to you that truly you're not maturing as a disciple in Christ until you begin to share your faith with, with others. This is a part of discipleship. It's a part of Christian maturity. And until you begin to share your faith with others, you are not fully maturing as a disciple of Jesus. Evangelism is part of it. So let's talk about that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20. One verse. Now you're thinking, one verse. Wow, this is going to be fantastic. Pastor Tim's going to preach short today. <laughs> y'all, y'all should know me better. Uh, I, I, we're going to get a lot out of one verse. Uh, actually, I'm using one verse to sort of summarize two chapters of a story that's just too long for us to read. So I'm going to talk about more or less this whole story, but focus on this one verse. Acts chapter 4, verse 20. Words spoken by Peter and John, and this is what they say. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's what they say. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Peter and John, uh, you know who they are, I suppose, if you know anything much about the New Testament. Peter and John, for most people, are are apostles. And because they're apostles, you probably have this a halo effect around them. You, you think that they are these amazing men, guys who, who the Lord uses, and all of this is true. They're amazing men whom God uses, but if you're thinking that, that they're somehow different in, in, in some miraculous way than you are, then, then I think you don't really understand who Peter and John are. Peter and John were some of the original disciples of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus who were becoming like him. And by the time we get to this part in the story, they've made some progress. Peter's not the man he used to be. John was one of the original. He and his brother were called the sons of thunder. These were not necessarily men who were prone to love first. And Jesus has done an amazing work in Peter and John's life up to this point. This is what discipleship does. But remember where they were when Jesus found them. Peter and John, what were they doing when Jesus found them? Exactly, they were fishing. Peter and John were ordinary fishermen, just fishermen. Now, you don't have to know anything else about Peter and John to know that that tells you just a few things. And and among other things, the fact that they're fishermen tells you that they were probably not, by anybody's definition, discipleship material, according to the Jewish tradition. They wouldn't be discipleship material. In their world, in, 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 the, in the Jewish tradition in which they were growing up, every young man would grow up in Hebrew school. He would learn Hebrew so that he could learn the Scripture. And every little boy was taught to know the Scripture, the, the, what we call the Old Testament. They memorized it. Little bitty boys memorizing the Scripture. 
so that they could stand up and recite not just a verse, but entire sections of the Old Testament. By the time what we would call first and second grade, they would have already memorized most of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You know, by the time they get you know, very far into their elementary school years, they would have memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. Like word for word, all of it, stand up, wake them up in their sleep, they could say it. I mean, this is what Hebrew school was about. And then by the time they would reach, you know, teenage years, they would be expected to have memorized what we call the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament. Like have it in your head, word for word, have it down to memory. This is what a disciple in their day would do. And those who excelled at that kind of intellectual work, those who can memorize and learn the scripture in that way, the rabbis would recruit them for their schools. And a rabbi would have his own school and the disciple would fall behind a rabbi and and become his disciple. Most people didn't really fall into the rabbinic schools. They really didn't have what it would take to be a disciple like that. And so they flunked out, right? They dropped out of school and they went on to pursue other professions. And Peter and John are fishermen, which tells us they're not discipleship material, at least not by the prevailing definition. But Jesus is not your typical rabbi either, right? So when Jesus starts gathering disciples to himself, he doesn't go down to the temple and look for the valedictorian. He doesn't look for the star pupils at the temple. Jesus goes out and looks for ordinary guys like Peter and John, and they're fishing. And Peter steps up. I mean, Jesus steps up to Peter and John and just simply offers an invitation. All he says is simply what? Come follow me. Come follow me. That's it. He did not require a a physical examination, a permission slip from it. You didn't have to have a resume. He didn't give them a written exam, ask them to recite some of the Old Testament. He didn't ask to see their school records. Nothing. Just the invitation. Follow me. Because Jesus knew his own power and intentions. And Jesus knows that whatever these boys need, he's going to give them along the way. Just come follow me. Everything that Jesus wants to do in their lives, he's going to do it on the journey. Just follow. So what he says is, follow me. And then there's a promise. I will make you, what's he say? Fishers of men. Yeah, excellent. I'll make you fishers of people. I'll make you fishers of men. Now, they're already fishermen. So Jesus is speaking their language. He's simply saying, come follow me. You're going to keep doing what you're doing, only you're going to do it at a higher level. You've got a job, but I'm going to give you a purpose. And you know the difference between a job and a purpose, right? you got a job. I'm going to make it a purpose. Follow me, and I will make you to be a, a fisher for people. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 3 and 4, I just want you to be clear. This is what fishing for people looks like. This is what Jesus called them to do, and they're doing it in some of the ways that you and I could be doing it. Acts chapter 3. Peter and John go to the temple on an ordinary day. They're ordinary men on an ordinary day. Walk into the temple simply because it's time for prayer. There's a prayer service on the schedule. So this isn't doing anything out of the ordinary. This is just what they do. Ordinary guys on an ordinary day going to the temple for ordinary prayer meeting. Everybody does this all the time. Peter and John are not thinking, we're going to go down to that prayer meeting and take it over. No, 
They're not thinking that. Peter's not thinking, I'm going to walk into this temple and in the next 45 minutes, I'm going to preach two different sermons. No. Peter did not wake up that morning and prepare a sermon at all because he's not thinking like that. They're just walking in for a prayer meeting that they're not in charge of. They're just walking in. As they walk in, they see a beggar, a crippled beggar by the, by the gate, right there by the door to the church, right? He's there because he's always there. That's ordinary too. People know this guy by name. They at least know him by sight. He's always there. Now, if I were crippled and, and I needed other people's you know, money to beg, I would probably want to be there too. You would assume that people going into the temple to pray are going to be religious and they may be generous. And so that's where I would be with my you know, work for food sign, right there by the church door. And that's where he is. He's always there. People know him. They see him. He's familiar. All of this is familiar. None of this is extraordinary. As they walk by, the beggar, who Peter and John would have seen a thousand times, he says that to them, you know, hey, help a, help a brother out, help a beggar out, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. I mentioned Peter and John were ordinary. Did I mention that they're broke? Well, they ain't got no money. They don't have money, anything to give. So Peter looks at the man and says, listen, I don't have any money to give you. So far, extremely ordinary, right? But then Peter says something crazy. Peter says, I don't have money to give you, but I will give you what I have. So in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Okay. That's not ordinary. That's not ordinary. I don't have money to give you, but, but I will give you what I have. And what I have because of Jesus is the power of Jesus. I have that to give you, so I can't give you money, but how about I just give you legs? Get up and walk. And that man hits the ground like a squirrel. I mean, this is what it says. I mean, he just hits it. He is moonwalking. He is getting jiggy with it. He is running through the temple. I mean, all of a sudden, things go crazy. And people in the temple are like, what? I mean, they can't get over it. I remind you, they just walked past him. They saw his legs crumpled up, you know, like a frozen bundle of chicken. They saw that, and they've seen him every single time they've walked in. They've seen him, but they've never seen him run in the aisles. They've never seen him on his feet. They've never seen him walk. And so now they're asking, what's going on? What happened? How can this be? And at that point, Peter starts talking. What's he talking about? Well, They're asking a question, right? They're asking, how is this man walking? What just happened? And Peter happens to know the answer to the question. And the thing is, there's no way, no way whatsoever that Peter can possibly explain what just happened unless he talks about Jesus. There's no way to explain that crippled man now walking unless you're going to talk about Jesus. So see, this is just kind of how this works. When you are following Jesus, your life will point to Jesus. It just will. Your life will point to Jesus. Peter and John aren't trying to do anything showy. They're not trying to do anything out of the ordinary. They're just following Jesus. They're just doing what Jesus would do, and they happen to have the power of Jesus because that's what Jesus gives those who follow him, his power to do his work. So Peter and John are just living these lives, but the lives that they live raise questions. People just want to know. Explain that to me. What just happened? 
How is it that you used to be a fisherman and now you walk into this this temple and you can command a crippled man to walk? Please tell me how that happens. Do you understand? Their lives just raise questions. When you and I follow Jesus the way we're supposed to follow Jesus, our lives are going to point to Jesus. There's no way to turn that off. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the light that shines in darkness. And if you have Jesus, the power of Jesus, the light of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus living in you, you're just not going to be able to blend in with the world. It doesn't work. So the question becomes, how is it that so many of us blend in so beautifully with the world? Has anybody ever looked at your life And then had a question to ask about, you know, how you could possibly explain. Do you even remember where you were when Jesus found you? Can you remember where you were? Has there been a change? I mean, can you talk about that? The moment when you didn't have faith, but then you found faith in, in Jesus. Can you talk about being hopeless and then finding hope in Jesus? Can, can you know the kind of person you would be without Jesus? And can you talk about the person that Jesus has called you to be? Because because this is just what I'm saying. When you live for Jesus, your life just points to him. It begins to become unexplainable without some reference to Jesus. So Peter and John asked the man to just get up and walk because they don't have money to give, right? But they got the power of Jesus in Jesus' name. And they didn't intend to blow up the prayer meeting. They didn't plan any of this. But I'm just telling you, when you follow Jesus, things just start happening and you got to just roll with it. So they're just rolling with it now. So all of a sudden, the whole temple's in an uproar. This man is just running through the aisles. I mean, you call it you know, creative movement, whatever you want to call it, but he's now doing it. And the temple's nearly shut down and people are like, you know, what's going on? And Peter steps up to preach. I remind you, he didn't have a sermon prepared, but you don't have to prepare for this sort of thing. They're just asking a question and Peter knows the answer. It's Jesus. And so this is the key. This is the very simple principle I want to give to you. And it's simply this. Be ready to answer when people ask. Just be ready to answer when people ask. As I say again, your life should raise some questions. I mean, there should be some things in your life that can't possibly be explained without reference to Jesus. And when somebody asks, you just answer. That's all you're being sent out to do. Be ready to answer because people are going to ask. And so you just got to be able to tell them. And the answer is always Jesus. But they don't always ask, do they? See, Peter and John were ordinary men, but something extraordinary happened. And so when people are asking about it, there's no way they could explain it without talking about Jesus. I mean, it's not like Peter and John were physical therapists, you know, and so like, you know, people are like, well, you know, Peter and John, obviously, you know, Western's got him a good PT department because Peter and John took that crippled man and got him on his... I mean, there's no natural explanation for what just happened. There's, there's no way you can explain it unless you talk about Jesus. I mean, you gotta, you got to talk about power that's not like anything that any of us could produce. 
And see, this is my concern. As much as I love our church and as much as I think that we often try to walk in faith and and live for Christ, my concern is that there are so few things that ever happen in our church that could only be explained by reference to Jesus. So much of what happens, so much of what always happens is just the stuff that would happen if a bunch of people got together and put their money together and they all worked real hard. I mean, if you can explain it in human terms, then all of a sudden it doesn't really require Jesus. And my hunch is our church doesn't even attempt very much that we couldn't succeed in if it weren't for Jesus. We often only try the things that we know that we can do on our own because nobody wants to be out there in a situation where, you know, it requires a miracle. But if you never in your life step out into a place where a miracle is required, don't be surprised if you don't ever see any miracles. It takes a kind of following after Jesus in the places where he goes. And I'm telling you, when you follow him, he's going to take you into all the places where he's doing his work. And he's doing his work in all kinds of places where work won't happen if Jesus doesn't come in with supernatural power. I'm just concerned that in Woodburn Baptist Church's life, there's not that much that happens that we don't have an earthly explanation for. That's not a good sign for us. And and then the next question becomes the one about your own life. I mean, if I ask you to raise your hand and show me who the disciples are in the house, I'd have a house full of people with hands in the air. But, But then my question to you would be, you know, what is it in your life that could only be explained with a reference to what Jesus has done for you. Like you could only, you know, this would never be true if it weren't for Jesus's power, Jesus, the change he's created in my life. I mean, when's the last time somebody asked you a question about you that you couldn't answer without saying, listen, I, I just, the only way I can answer that is to tell you about my Savior. And Peter and John lived these lives that, you know, just raised questions and People would ask and then they'd answer, and that, that's how they preached. And I'm just not sure that the life that you and I live in church or out of church raises that many supernatural questions. You know what I'm saying? Makes sense? Be ready to answer when somebody asks. Here's the thing more than likely, and I know that for some of you this will sound dramatic or harsh, but just understand, more than likely, there are individuals in in your life for whom your witness will make the difference as to whether or not they ever know Jesus as Savior. Like, I really believe that, you all. I believe that for my life. I believe it for your life. I think that there are people, more than likely, who will never come to Jesus if, if, if you don't lead them to Jesus. I really believe that. I mean, heaven and hell are in the balance, and I really do believe that there are people who will never make heaven if you don't tell them about Jesus. I I really believe that. I I know there's a world full of people who could tell them. You know, I mean, there are TV preachers on all kinds of channels, and right now, every preacher in America is, you know, on Facebook Live after the pandemic. I mean, it's not that there aren't Bibles in every hotel room. I'm not saying that. Christian radio station, I mean, there are lots and lots of, you know, people talking about Jesus all all around us in our culture, but I'm also telling you, there are people who might not listen to anybody but you. I'm just telling you the truth. I mean, those of you who are parents, we can start with your kids. Like your kids and grandkids, they depend on you. 
And I know, I mean, and I appreciate people who bring their kids to church. If you're not bringing your kids to church, bring your kids to church. I'm not saying not to, but I just want to help you understand how all this works. Because often, you know, there are parents who kind of circle up out here and they'll drop them off under the canopy and the kids come out and go in and the parents go to Starbucks for an hour. Because I guess that sounds like a great Sunday morning for them. Kids go to church, we go to Starbucks, and, and the kids learn about Jesus, and the church will teach our kids about Jesus, and the church will get our kids saved, and the church will baptize our kids, and the church will make sure our kids go to heaven while we go to Starbucks. And I just want to remind you, I mean, and, and again, thank you for trusting us with your kids. We'll do the very best we can. We will do everything we can to tell your kids about Jesus because we feel called to do that. But let me just remind you that we will have your children one hour that week, one hour, and we will put everything we have into that hour. We have volunteers who were upstairs in the last hour, and they put everything they had into teaching children about Jesus. I mean, they did it with masks. They did it with, with gallons and gallons of hand sanitizer. I mean, we did it. We made it happen. And they did a great job, but it's one hour. And then you came back from Starbucks, and you picked your kids up, and then you got them for all the rest of the week. Like all the other hours, they're learning from you. And so understand, as much as we try and as much as we do, chances are, no matter how much money our church puts in children's ministry, no matter how much we put into it, your kids are going to know Jesus about the way you know Jesus. Because you are the pastor in your children's lives. You are the spiritual leaders in your kids' lives. Like it or not, they're watching you. They're following you. And so they're going to love Jesus about like you love Jesus. They're going to read the Bible about the way you read the Bible. I mean, this is just how this works. We follow our parents. We often follow our dad. I mean, this is just how all of this works. The church gets an hour, but you got all the other hours. They're going to learn from you. The soul of your children, the discipleship of your children depends upon the witness of the parents. Does it make, make sense? I know in some ways it's devastating to think about, but it's just true. Your children learn from you. I mean, your children will learn to drink alcohol the way you drink alcohol. Your children will learn to think about money the way you think about money. Your children will think about going to church about the same way you teach them to think about going to church. And they're going to follow Jesus about the same way you follow Jesus. It's just how this all works. So whether you like it or not, you are a witness. And whether you like it or not, you are discipling. And you are leading people. And they're following you. The question just becomes, if they follow you, will they end up following Jesus? And the horrible, horrible truth of that is in a lot of cases, no. And I'm just reminding you, there are people in your life, they depend upon your witness. They need to hear it from you. Now, all of you who don't have kids are thinking, boy, you tell them, Pastor Tim, tell them. But you got people in your life too. You know, the guy you're dating. You know, by now you may realize you don't know about Jesus. If there's any reason that his path is crossed with yours, do you, you really think it's any other reason than that maybe you would help this dude find the Lord? This is how this works. I mean, your life, following Jesus, when people cross paths with you, they will be pointed to Jesus. And if that's not happening in your life, then there's something profoundly broken about your life in Christ. This is just how it works. You can't even really turn it off if you're following Jesus. People whose 
eternal destination, their soul depends upon your witness. And, and in so many cases, we're not, we're not telling them. You say, Pastor Tim, I'm not a preacher. You're a preacher. You can stand up, obviously, and talk all day long about, you can talk all day long about Jesus, and I can't and I don't. And if anybody asks me a question about religion, it's what you're thinking. You're thinking, I mess it up. I don't know enough to answer anybody. I can't explain. I don't know Bible verses. And the Bible verses I know, if you ever ask me to say them, I'll mess them up. I can't say them if I need to say them. I don't know enough of the Bible. I've read the Bible, but I don't know enough to explain to somebody else. That's what a lot of people think. Not worthy. I'm not adequate. I can't do this. I can't lead somebody else to Jesus. I don't know what to say. And if I think I know what to say and the moment comes, I don't know what to say. I go blank. I mean, I'm going to mess it up. I'd confuse myself. I'll confuse a person. I'll confuse the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can't keep any of this straight. That, that's what you're thinking. I'm just, I can't do it. You know, let somebody else do it. Let, let, the, let the preachers, let the Billy Grahams, let the smart people, the Sunday school teachers, let them do it. I can't. I just want to call your attention to Acts chapter 4. Peter and John, in all their glory here, right? They got a man walking, and Peter's done preached a sermon and a half by the time we get to verse 13. And then notice what they say. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is sort of the general impression. Like, watching Peter and John, this is what you know about these guys. You ready? The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So first thing, these dudes are bold. You can't question that. These dudes are bold. And you think that's a compliment. Like that sounds like a compliment, right? Until you hear what they say next. They were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. All right, now... Let that sink in. It's one thing to be uneducated. Lots of us are uneducated. Some of us just didn't do well in school. We don't really have a good education and no education. It's one thing to be uneducated. But it's another thing altogether to be obviously uneducated. You know what I mean? It's like these guys obviously had no training. Now, this is the evaluation after Peter just preached his heart out. He preached his heart out. He preached a sermon that we actually get like most of the high points, like in the Bible. He preached a sermon that lands in the Bible. But the immediate evaluation was, mm, he's bold. He's bold. But he's dumb. He's dumb. He hasn't been trained. No preaching school in the world turned out somebody like that. I mean, that's what... Obviously uneducated. You understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to not know stuff, but then you start talking to everybody. Well, they don't know, you know. Like, they make it obvious. They're ordinary. Never been trained. That is, you know, not a glowing evaluation of their performance. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're ordinary. And even after, I mean, doing all of this, it's just like, man, everybody just knows. These guys got nothing. They've got no resume, no training. I mean, and, and you don't even have to see the resume. You can see by their performance, nobody ever taught them nothing about nothing. So where does this come from? See, that's the thing. The fact that you and I are so ordinary makes us just the best kind of witnesses to how extraordinary Jesus is. So that's how that works. 
If it were something about Peter and John, if Peter could just, you know, preach, you know, and just bring them all, you know, move the crowd, you know. I mean, if it worked like that, then they'd say, man, that guy is a great preacher. That's not how it works. He does not move the crowd. At the end of this, you know, they want to kill him. They tell him, hey, as a matter of fact, why don't you never preach again? I'm not making this up. Their suggestion is maybe you should never preach again. But notice, verse 13, here's, here's the thing. They notice three things about it. They're bold, right? They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Like, that was obvious. These guys know Jesus. They've been with Jesus. Remember, this is the same Sanhedrin, same high priest, these are the ones that killed Jesus just weeks before this. This is the same Jewish leaders who crucified Jesus. The last thing they want to know now is that somebody's standing up in the temple still giving Jesus credit for things that are happening right now. The last thing they want is Jesus' name being praised in the temple. So they say, you're going to have to shut up. You're going to have to stop proclaiming this name. Stop saying his name. Peter and John have been with Jesus. They'd just been with him. It was obvious. See, my hunch is that for a lot of us, the reason we're not out telling the story of Jesus is because we don't have a story to tell. I mean, maybe you don't have a story to tell. And, and, and if that's true for you, then in a devastating way, you need to, you need to check your heart. I ask you again, do you remember where you were when, you, when he found you? Remember what it was to live a life and have a job and not to have a purpose? To be in a world where you just don't have any faith in anything, you don't know how to believe in anything? Just been in a world where everything's coming apart and nothing, nothing holds together and you needed to find something that would hold together like your parents' marriage never held together. Nothing ever seemed stable for you and you're just looking for a rock to build your life upon. Or you're going through your whole life and all you've ever been is the, the girl who messed up, like the, the, the girl who just did everything wrong and, and, and now you're still the girl who just does everything wrong and you don't know how to somehow break free of that, you know, how, to, how to start a brand new story in your own life. You ever just been that person so guilty? I mean, you, you have hurt so many people. You've made so many mistakes. You've been a, a, addicted. You, you've been abusive. And you don't even know how just to get a clean slate and start over. I mean, nobody in the world gives you a second chance like that. And then you meet Jesus. You find Jesus and all of a sudden, things start holding. There's, there's something in your heart that holds together when everything else shakes apart. There is something that like ground beneath your feet. And all of a sudden, with all of the problems, you still find that you can walk and stand and have some progress. Even though you cannot change the person you used to be, you can now know for sure that you're not that same girl anymore. You're not who you, you want to be, but you're not the person you used to be. And the only way to explain that is that Jesus is changing you. It's the only way to explain it. 
You found forgiveness for your sins, peace in your heart. You found faith and hope and love. Listen, the only source of those things is Jesus. If you have those things, then you know you found them in Jesus. And if you find these things in Jesus, how can you not want other people to know what you know? If you know the truth that is found in Jesus, why would you let people walking around doubting and and with no direction for their life? If you know where light is found, why would you let people continue to walk in darkness? If you have found that God's word is food for your soul, why would you leave everybody else around you hungry? You understand what I'm saying? My hunch is when you have a story to tell, it really becomes natural to tell it. Some of us call ourselves believers, but our entire church life is, is just going to church. And it's not really a life of following Jesus. And honestly, if you're waiting for a great story to tell about something that happens at Woodburn Baptist Church from 11 you know, a.m. to 12 p.m. on Sunday, I don't know that you're going to get a lot of great stories. It's going to be a whole lot of this, y'all. It's not about just going to church. It's not about just calling yourself a Christian. It's this life of following Jesus. And you follow Jesus, he's going to take you into places where he's going to do his work. And you don't know how you got there necessarily. You don't even know exactly what just happened, but you know how to explain it. Jesus did that. Jesus is at work. I can't tell you everything about how that happened, but I can tell you whose hand is at work here. It's Jesus. Because that is the same hand that's at work in my life. Let me tell you what I know about him. Here's your goal. It's it's really simple. We're talking about evangelism and how every single one of us is called to it. And and, and I don't know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking about, you know, this weird Christian you used to know who walk around, you know, handing out tracts and and preaching Jesus on a street corner. And you're just thinking, I can never do that. I wouldn't do that. And and God bless all of the brave people who've handed out tracts and stood on street corners. God bless them. He's used a lot of them to bring people to Jesus. But that may not be your thing. I'm with you. It may not be your thing. That's probably not my thing. That doesn't mean that you and I don't have a, a role to play as witnesses for Jesus. See, you're thinking about Billy Graham, and at the end of it, he was every head bowed and every eye closed, and then they start pouring down the aisles, and they'd fill up the altar, and all these people getting saved, and you're thinking, that's what I'm telling you that you got to do. You're not Billy Graham. God only made one of them, and he only made one of you. So, so you have a role to play. you got a job to play. And if you're thinking that you got to be like Billy Graham, if you're thinking that a successful witness... It's like you telling a stranger about Jesus at Myers, and you just see him, and all of a sudden you just tell him about Jesus, and you give him a five-minute speech, and all of a sudden they're ready to love Jesus, and y'all fall on your knees by the pork and beans. You're standing there by the pork and beans, and, and that person prays, and they cry, and they receive Jesus in the aisle at Myers, and then y'all get up, and you turn around, and you baptize them in the lobster tank. And, and you're thinking that's what I'm telling you that anything short of that is failure. You need to understand, that is rarely how it happens. There are probably individuals who lead people to to Jesus every day at Myers and baptize them in the lobster tank. God bless them. But that's not been my life. Most of the time, when I tell people about Jesus, when, when I just try to be a witness, I don't know if they listen to me or not. Be honest with you, most of the time, they don't tear up. They don't even ask a follow-up question. Very rarely do they let me pray with them. and Very rarely do I hear them pray and accept Jesus. It happens sometimes, but 
if you're thinking that, that is, that's what you've got to see, if you're thinking that anything short of that is failure, then you're going to miss almost all of the everyday opportunities you have to be a witness. You're going to miss them. So let me explain to you what your job is, what your aim is, and it's really very simple. Your job is just to move every person you meet one step closer to Jesus. I don't know if you can take them the whole way. If you can, you do. But don't always expect that. You've done your job if you just can, can, can be a witness and move them one step closer to Jesus. Now, what you've done is extraordinary, actually, but it doesn't always feel extraordinary. Everybody you know is some distance from Jesus. Everybody is. And your goal is just to try to move them one step closer. I don't know how that looks. It's going to look different in every person's life. If we're talking about your own children, your grandchildren, this is your goal. Just with every opportunity you have, try to move them one step closer to Jesus. Just one step closer. If you manage to do that, like one step closer every time you see them, after some amount of time, you've helped these people come a long way toward Jesus, and that's beautiful. That's what we call discipleship. I mean, that's what it is. But you don't always have that ongoing opportunity. Sometimes you only have one chance to move somebody closer to Jesus. So, so take whatever opportunity you have to just try to move them one step closer. If you're following Jesus, you're going to do this at times and not even know you're doing it because your life is going to automatically point people to Jesus. You're not even going to know sometimes how that word or that way you responded. You don't even know all the moments when people are watching your life. But if you're living for Jesus, you don't even have to be turning it on and off. They're just going to see Jesus in you. But in every opportunity, every moment, when, when you see a person, understand, you just try to move them one step closer to Jesus with your life, with your words, with the power of Jesus in you, just one step closer. You can do that. If you're actually following Jesus, I don't know how you could fail to do that. Move them one step. Move them a step. You don't always know if they moved. Just be a witness. Tell what you know. I understand Peter and John, they didn't quote a whole lot of scripture here. They didn't even talk a whole lot about like what they believe. They just talked about what they know. Understand? I mean, there's some things about faith that are really mysterious and, you know, philosophical, but, you know, it's not philosophical and mysterious when I tell you what, what I've seen, what I know Jesus has done in my life. That's why they say we, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. It's not about doctrine. This is what I've seen and heard in my story. So it's the very same Sanhedrin, the very same Jewish council that crucified Jesus, Right? Peter and John are ordinary guys, I mean, obviously ordinary, and they walk into the temple on this particular day, guy asks for money like he's asked a thousand times, but this day something just hits Peter, that he doesn't have money, and, and there's no money forthcoming, but at the same time, he thinks he may have something that could help him, it's Jesus. In, in, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and the man gets up and walks. People are like, what's going on? How did that happen? And Peter didn't have a sermon prepared, but they asked, and so now he's going to answer because there's only one answer. Jesus did that. Jesus, the one that you crucified, Jesus did that. He lives in my heart. He has his power working everywhere. And it's Jesus' power at work. It's Jesus. 
The Sanhedrin comes in and says, you've got to stop that. You cannot say that name. Stop saying that name. We killed him. We'll kill you. They killed him. He could kill them. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 18. Verse 19, Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Notice they don't say we won't stop. We can't stop. You don't turn this on and off. we, We can't stop. We've seen this. We've heard this. We can't stop. Just to close, that's what grips me about that verse right there, that one verse. They were unstoppable, literally. You could kill them, but you couldn't stop their witness. Couldn't stop them, unstoppable. I just don't understand how they could never be stopped. And most of us can't get started. Pray with me. Lord God, you know it's one of the darkest weeks in our nation's history. Really terrible time. It was a terrible week after many, many, many terrible weeks. God, this is a difficult time in so many ways, Lord, a, a, a pandemic. So many of us are, are losing loved ones now, Lord. So many in the hospital, Lord. This is really a devastating and dark time. And, and the world is looking, Lord, and, and wondering where you are. I mean, Lord God, people are asking where you are, where you are, where is God? And, and, they're, and they're wondering why you don't do something. And Lord... It's a pretty good question. Why it is that there's so much suffering in this world? Why a nation founded upon liberty and freedom and goodness and justice for all, Lord? How somehow that nation can now have citizens looking to tear one another's throats out, Lord? Everything is coming apart. And people are beginning to wonder where you are and and, and why it is that there's so much darkness in this world. And Lord, I suppose I have a right to wonder. But Lord God, we're your people and we know some things. And we know, for example, that you have shown your light in the darkness, and now you have entrusted your light into our lives. And Lord, we ourselves are supposed to be out there shining for you. You told us to let our lights shine. So Lord, at this moment, if there is darkness in this world, Lord, it is not because you have refused to send light, Lord. You have sent the light in us, Lord, but we refuse to let our light shine. Lord, there are people so desperate for hope, for peace, so much anxiety, so much depression, so much loneliness, so much fear. But Lord, you have given us faith and hope and love. We know the answer. We know the source. We know how all of this turns out, Lord. We know we don't have to be afraid. We know, Lord, we know that everything's going to hold together because everything is in your hands. We know this. But the world doesn't know because we don't tell them. 
We have all of these spiritual blessings, all of the truth, the faith, the hope, the love, and we keep it to ourselves. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. We want to become like you. Lord, when we follow you, all kinds of things happen. Sometimes, Lord, we, we step back. We're afraid of what it will cost us. We're afraid of how we will look to others, Lord. We, for whatever reason, we step back from following you. Help us, Lord God, to find that boldness that Peter and John had, the boldness. Help us, Lord, to have a real burden for those around us, Lord, especially our own families, our coworkers, the ones we go to school with. Help us to care, Lord God, whether or not they see heaven or hell. Help us to care enough, Lord, to uh, tell them what we know about Jesus. We don't know everything, but, Lord, we know what you've done for us. And what you've done for us, you would do for the world. So help us, Lord Jesus, to tell the world. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.